Before the show, a quick word from our sponsor. What is up, Bitcoiners? It's CK, and I'm here to talk to you about the Bitcoin 2021 conference this June in sunny Miami, Florida. It is going to be June 4th and 5th, and we are barreling towards a sold-out conference. Already one-third of our available tickets have been sold, and way more than half of our whale passes have been sold. We are almost sold out completely on the whale pass. We have amazing speakers, Jack Dorsey, Chamath, Nick Zabo, Tony Hawk, Peter Todd, many, many more, and many more to be announced. You can go to the website to check them all out. Mayor Suarez has welcomed us into the city with open arms. And again, tickets are flying off the shelves. Seriously, I see the feed and like I've done many conferences. This one is is really has some something going for it. And honestly, guys, like after all this, after 2020, Bitcoiners want to grab a beer, hang out. We're bringing back Bitcoin 2019 vibes times 10 prices times 10. Let's go. Use promo code SATOSHI, all caps, SATOSHI, for 10% off. You can go to the website b.tc backslash conference. Again, that is b.tc backslash conference and get your ticket today. Today, prices also are going up and, hey, we may just sell out. So we have a hard cap. Can't really be flexible there. Don't wait. Live from Utrecht, this is the Van Weerdom Shorsnado. Hello. Hey Shors. What's up? The other day I wanted to send Bitcoin to someone, but I Why? didn't. Shouldn't you hodl? I hodl all I can, but sometimes I need to eat or I need to pay my rent or I need to buy a new plant for my living room. Yeah, that's true. So the problem was the person I wanted to send Bitcoin to, I didn't have their IP address. You did not have their IP address? I did not have their IP address. Okay. Luckily, it turns out there's this trick in Bitcoin called Bitcoin addresses. That's right. Have you heard of this? Uh, yes. Maybe our reader cut that, please. Maybe our listener hasn't yet, yours. So let's explain what Bitcoin addresses are. Okay. What are Bitcoin addresses? First of all, so I made a stupid joke about IP addresses, but this was actually an option, wasn't it? Yeah, so in the initial version of Bitcoin, Satoshi announced it on the mailing list and said, well, if you want to send somebody some coins, you just enter their IP address and then it'll exchange, I guess, an address to send it to. Yeah, so it was actually possible to send Bitcoins to people's IP addresses. I don't think that's possible anymore. That's not in any of the code. I don't think so either. Probably, right? I haven't seen it. Yeah, because the other way is that you just get an address to send to and then it goes to the blockchain and because the other side is checking the blockchain also, it'll show up. Yeah. Well, that's actually not how it works at all. But we're going to explain it now, I think. Yep. Let's go. Okay, first of all, Shurs, when you send Bitcoin to someone, what do you actually do? What happens? Well, you're creating a transaction that has a bunch of inputs and it has an output. And that output describes who can spend it. Yeah. Right. So you could say anybody can spend this. That's not a good idea. We talked about that in an earlier episode. So what you do is you put a constraint on it. And the very first version of that constraint was he who has or he or she who has this public key can spend the coins. So that's called pay to public key. Yes, exactly. So and then we just mentioned this IP example. So what actually happened was you would connect to someone's IP. I don't know 
the nitty-gritty details, but in general, you would connect to someone's IP and you'd ask for a public, public key and that person would give you the public key. And I think that's what you send the Bitcoins to. Yeah, I believe so too. But I've, I haven't seen that code in action, so we could be slightly wrong there. Somebody should dig it up. I'd love to see screenshots of like what that used to look like. Yeah, is there anyone who's ever used this way of paying someone pay to IP address? I, yeah, we'd love to know. It, it was technically possible. Is it, if anyone listening has any has ever actually used this, we'd be curious to hear that. I mean, it makes sense to think that way from the in the first version of Bitcoin, right? Because before that, you had all these peer-to-peer applications, and they were generally very direct. So with Napster and all these things, or Kazaa, I don't know which one, you would connect to other people, and you would download things from them. And with Bitcoin, you connect to other peers, but nowadays, you just connect to random peers. But perhaps in the beginning, the idea might have been, okay, you connect to peers you know, and so then you might as well you know, do transactions with them. But right now, you don't really do transactions with the peers you're directly connected to, at least not in Bitcoin on-chain. Yeah. Well, anyway, so that's one way of paying someone to a public key is you'd connect to their IP address and you'd get their public key. The other way is if you mine Bitcoins. So if you're a miner, then you're actually sending the block rewards to your public key. Is that still the case? It used to be the case in the beginning, at least. Well, in the beginning, Bitcoin had a piece of mining software built into software, right? So if you if you downloaded the Bitcoin software, it would just start mining. And so it would use that mechanism. Well, you just have to press a button, but yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. And then later on, you know, you had mining pools and it all became more professional. So the way they would pay out might be very different. Probably, you know, might go to a multi-sig address from which it's paid back to the individual pool participants. Or it could be paid directly to the pool participants, although that's a bit inefficient because you need a long list of addresses in the Coinbase. But I've seen huge Coinbase transactions, so probably people people were doing that. Right. Well, anyway, so the point I was making was this pay-to-public-key way of paying someone. That was I, I learned this while doing a little bit of research for the show. That was only ever really used for pay-to-IP address and for the minor, the block reward. Okay. It wasn't actually used for anything other than that. What was used other than that was pay to public key hash, right? So you're not sending money to a public key, but you're sending money to the hash of that public key. Yeah. And this is where addresses come in. Because yeah, this hash- type of payment actually used addresses for the first time. Not for the first time. This was always there. Also something I learned while doing a little bit of research. This was there since day one. There were Bitcoin addresses since day one, but they were only there for pay to public key hash. Right. So basically, so the script on the Bitcoin blockchain would in that case say, okay, the person who can spend this must have the public key belonging to this hash. So, you know, the nice thing about that is that you're not saying which public key you have, or at least at the time it was thought that maybe that was safer against quantum attacks. But the other benefit is that it's a little bit shorter. So it saves a bit on block space, although, of course, that wasn't an issue back then. So, yeah, you pay to the public key hash. Yeah, I guess in a way it's slightly more private as well, right? Because you're only revealing your public key when you're paying. No, that doesn't make sense. No, I think that's exactly doesn't ma- matter. No. Um, okay, so that's a pub- that's paying to public key uh, hash. And like you said, what you see on the blockchain itself, what's recorded on the blockchain is the actual hash of a bu- public key. However, when you're getting paid on a public pay-to-pub-key hash, 
what you're sharing with someone is not this hash. It's actually an address. Yes. Well, so you are sharing the hash, but you do that using an address. Exactly. And, so and what is an address? So an address essentially is, at least this type of address, is the number one followed by the hash of the public key. But it is encoded using something called base 58. What's base 58? Okay, so let's go back to base 64. I don't know if you've ever seen an email source code, like an attachment, all these weird characters in there. That's base 64. But And base 58 is based on that. But maybe to say what it is, it is all the lowercase letters, all the uppercase letters, and all the numbers and without any of the signs, and with some ambiguous things removed. So you do not have the small O, the big O, and the zero. Should we start with base 10? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's two things. So this is what I, is I want actually to, I in want base people 58. to understand what base means. Yeah, exactly. So this is what's in base 58, but then the question is, what is base? Yes. And so base 10 is you have 10 fingers. And so if you want to express, say, the number... 115, you can make three gestures, right? You show a one and a one and a five. And, and that is base 10 because you ha you're using your 10 fingers three times. And that's also how you write down numbers. But there have been different bases. I think the yeah, uh, just, Babylonians were just very to, much into base 360. That's why we have... Hang on, hang on. Because we're not actually using fingers most of the time. So I want to make this clear that it just means there. we have a decimal system. So that means we have... 10 different symbols that represent the number. That's right. With the symbol zero, which is a round thing. And then but we it's have probably, one and probably not a coincidence that that happens to match. I, I totally agree. Count. I just want to make it clear that yeah. we're not actually using fingers most of the time. No. And so the. I think okay. So we have 10 symbols. So that means that once you get by the 11th number, at that point, you're going to have to reuse symbols you've already used. So you're now going to use combinations. So in our case, that would be. Well, it's going to get confusing because the first number is a zero. So then the 11th number is the one and the zero. Yeah, exactly. And there have been different bases in use, right? So base 360, I believe, was used by Babylonians or maybe base 60. And then for computers, we tend to use base two internally because chips are either on or off. So it's a zero or a one, yep. so a long series of zeros and ones. And you can express any number of that. Now, in order to read machine code, Typically, you would use hexadecimal, which is base 16. So that is 0 to 9 and then A to F. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, right. And so base 58 is basically this 58 possible characters to express something with. Yeah. It's, it's, all, it's all numbers and there's different ways of expressing a number based on your base. Yeah. And that the, that the determines how many here, symbols you're using. And Right. The trade-off here is readability, really. Because you could represent machine code as normal characters, so the you know the ASCII alphabet or the ASCII character set is two hundred fifty-six different characters, so that's base two fifty-six. But if you've ever done something like print and then the name of a file, your computer will show complete gibberish on the screen and it will start beeping. And the reason it starts beeping is because one of these codes somewhere in the base two fifty-six is a beep, which actually makes your terminal beep. So it is completely impractical to view a file using base 256, even though there is a character for every of the 256 things there. So that's why you tend to do that in base 16. Hexadecimal is relatively easy to read, but then it's quite long. If you take a public key and you write it as hexadecimal, it's, it's a rather long thing to write down. But and base 58 is a little bit shorter, so maybe you know it's easier to copy-paste 
perhaps, or it's not even easy to read on the phone. Like base 58 is pretty terrible because it's uppercase, lowercase, uppercase, lowercase. So, yeah. Okay. Just to restate that briefly. So base two is just, you're just using two symbols, which is one and zero. And base 10 is what we use most of the time. It's zero, one, two, three, four, up until nine. Then you have hexadecimal, which uses zero through nine plus A, B, C, D, E, F. Mm-hmm. And then what we're talking about here is base 58, which uses 58 different symbols, Yep. which are zero through nine. And then most of the alphabet in mo- both capital letters and undercase, right? Yeah, most. I think it's lowercase and uppercase and then most of the numbers. But there are some letters and numbers that are skipped that are ambiguous. So the number zero, the letter O, both lowercase and uppercase, or at least uppercase is not in there. Yeah, I think, for example, the capital I and the lowercase L are both not in there because they look too similar. Right, and that's why you get a little bit less than, you know, if you just add 26 letters plus 26 uppercase plus 10 numbers, right? Okay, I think we finally explained what base 58 means. Yeah, and and just as a sidestep, I talked about email earlier. That's base 64. That is the same, but it also has some characters like underscore and plus and equals. And that was mostly used for email attachments. And I guess they didn't want to use all 256 characters either because they didn't want the email to start beeping, but they did want to squeeze a lot of information into the attachment. Okay, Anywho, that's base 58. Now, yeah. and so why, what, why are we talking about this? What, what is an address? Yeah, so the address again is the actually the value zero, I believe, but that's expressed as a one because that's the first digit in this, this character base set. Base 58 system, yeah. Yeah, so it starts with a one and then it's followed by the public key hash which is just expressed in base 58. Right. Is that all it is? Yes. And keep in mind, so that is the information you send to somebody else when you want them to send you Bitcoin. You could also just send them 00 and then the public key, and maybe they would be able to interpret that. Probably not. You could send them the actual script that's used on the blockchain, because on the blockchain, there, there is no like base 58 or base 64 or anything like that. The, the blockchain is just you know binary information. So the blockchain has this script that says if the person has the right public key hash, has the public key belonging to this public key hash, then you can spend it. And we talked about in an earlier episode how Bitcoin scripts work. So you could send somebody the Bitcoin script in hexadecimal, anything you want. But the convention is you use this address format. And that's why all traditional Bitcoin addresses start with a one. And they're all the same, roughly the same length. Okay, so a Bitcoin address is basically just a base 58 representation of a version number plus a public key hash. Sure, is base 58 used for anything else in Bitcoin? Yeah, you can also use it to communicate a private key. And in that case, your version number is, well, it's written as five, but it actually represents, I think, 128. Right. And then followed by the private key. So that's why all, all private keys start with a five or at least used to start with a five yeah so in the old days you had paper wallets that you could print you know and if you generate them actually securely without a backdoor then on one side of the piece of paper you would have something starting with a five and on the other other side of the paper you would have something started with a one and then it would say like show this to other people and don't show this to other people right now i happen to know yours that there are also addresses that start with a free that's right what's up with that well, usually those are uh, multi-signature addresses, but they don't have to be. They could be single-signature addresses. Well, what they are are... They could also script. be types of SegWit addresses, or they could be many things, right? 
Yes. They could also be single sick, but you already mentioned that. So yeah. let's go on. Okay, free. It starts with a free. What does it mean? So it basically says pay to public key hash. So it is that pay number to public followed script by script hash. Po- sorry, public script hash. Well, yes. not even public. Just pay to script hash. Pay to script. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting Eventually, there. pay to script hash. Yes, and it says basically anybody who has the script belonging to this hash and who can satisfy the script. So just knowing the script is not enough. You actually have to do whatever the script says you should do. Yeah, so the first version we just described was pay to public key hash, which required people to offer a valid signature corresponding to the public key. And now we're talking about pay to script hash, which means someone needs to present the script and be able to solve the script. So why do these start with a free? This is a convention. So as we said, there is a basically a version number that every you know, at everything that you communicate through base 58 starts with a version number. And if it starts with a one, then you know it's it's paid to public key hash. If it starts with a three, you know it's paid to script hash. If it starts with a five, you know it's a private key. So so it's just a convention and it once has again, no meaning on the blockchain itself. Once again, all this is is a version number plus this hash represented in base 58. Is that all it is? Yeah. This is all so much simpler than I once thought, yours. No, it's really simple. And the only mystery that has been solved today, I guess, is, well, what if you only use the public key, but that, w- that wasn't done using this system. So there is no initial letter that would represent trying to do that. Yeah, that, that was never represented in no, base otherwise, 58. Otherwise, probably that would have been version zero. And then all normal addresses might have started with the two. Who knows? Okay, I think for anyone who already knew this, which is probably a good chunk of people, this is a very boring episode so far. But I think it's going to get better because... Oh, my God. Because, yours, we now have a new type of address since, I don't know, a year or two, which starts with BC1. BC1Q, even, usually. Yeah, usually, but not always. And we're getting into that, I think. Yep. So what is what is this all about? Well, that is BEC32 or BETCH32 or however you want to pronounce it. And it's been used since SegWit, basically. And again, it is something that doesn't exist on the blockchain. So it's just a convention that wallets can use. Mm -hmm. This is a, as the name suggests, a base 32 system, Mm -hmm. which means you have almost all the letters and almost all the numbers minus some ambiguous characters that you don't want to have because they look too much like numbers or letters. Yeah. And I think one of the big differences compared to base 58 is that this time there are no longer uppercase and lowercase letters there's just any every letter is only in there once exactly the other difference is that it has a benefit i'll mention one benefit of that which is that if you want to read an address out loud it's going to be a little bit easier now that there's no difference between uppercase and lowercase yeah and the other difference is i didn't check with base 58 but basically it doesn't start with zero or anything like that it's it looks pretty arbitrary so the value zero is written as a q the value 1 is written as a P, the value 2 is written as a Z, etc. Why is the value 1 just written as a 1? Well, it's completely arbitrary, first of all, right? You can pick any, you can connect any value to any symbol you want. Sure. It's, it, it is, if there is a human interpretation that depends on it, then you don't want to do anything confusing. But if your only goal is to make it easy to copy-paste things, and if your other goal is for every address to start with BC1, Q, because it's, you know, BC1 sounds cool, 
then maybe there's a reason why you want to do them out of order. I haven't read which what the what the rationale is in the in the order. Okay, now back 32. Yeah, so there's a set of 32 characters and that means you're and but it's doing the same thing, right? It's again saying, okay, here is a pay to public key. Yeah, a pay to public key address. In this case a pay to witness public key because it's using segwit, segwit but it's the same idea. Public key hash. So it says hello and then followed by the hash of the public key. Okay, so back 32 addresses. What are we looking at exactly? Because what we're seeing for each address, it starts with B, C, 1, and then usually a Q, and then a whole bunch of other symbols. So what does this all mean? That's right. So there is something called the human readable part, and that doesn't really have any meaning other than that humans can recognize, okay, if the address starts with BC, then it refers to Bitcoin. And the software, of course, can see this too, but both humans and software can understand this. Yeah, so if Litecoin would want to use these kinds of addresses, maybe they do, actually, I don't know. Probably, then they might start that, with LT. Exactly. So this these first two letters just refer to which currency is this about, what blockchain is this for. Yeah, and it can be, I think, a fairly arbitrary number of letters. The idea is that it's separated by a one. Oh, it could be more than two letters as well? Yeah, I think uh, initially Bitcoin Cash was using a much longer um, introduction. I see, okay. So that's pretty arbitrary. Obviously, you want to conserve space, so BC is nice and short, and a 1, that's a separator, has no value. So if you look at the uh, what 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 do all the 32 numbers mean, then uh, 1 is not in it. 1 just means... Skip this. Okay, here's, the the yeah. human readable part is over, now the fun stuff now starts. the meat and potatoes. Right. And, and the fun stuff, it's a little bit easier actually than with Base58, because there's a convention that says if it's... Well, the convention is it starts with the SegWit version. So the first version of SegWit is 0, which in BEC32 is written as Q. Mm -hmm. And then it's either followed by 20 bytes or 32 bytes. And that is... Then it means either it's the public key hash or it is the script hash. And there are different lengths now because SegWit uses the SHA-256 hash of the script rather than the um, ripmat160 hash of the script. So in, in base58, the script hash is the same length as the public key hash, but in SegWit, they're not the same length. So simply by looking at how long the address is, you know whether you're paying to a script or you're paying to a public key hash, so we don't have to say it. Right, so to reiterate, the first two letters, BC, that just means this is about Bitcoin. Then the one says, okay, that was the part telling you which currency this is, now pay attention where you're actually going to pay money to. Then the Q means which version is going to follow, which version of address. Yep. And then what comes after which that... Which version of Segwit. What, yeah. yeah, what comes after it is actually the back 32 representation of this hash, which is either pay to public key hash or pay to script hash. Yeah, exactly. Or pay to witness public key hash or pay to witness script hash. George, is there anything else cool about back 32 Yeah, there is. And it's about error correction. So in base58, there is a checksum. So a checksum basically means you add something to the address at the end. And that way, if you make a typo, then that checksum at the end of the address is not going to work. Not going to compute with the rest of the address. Yeah, so it'll tell you, okay, this address is wrong. Right. Now, there is a certain chance... It doesn't tell you what the correct version would be. It just tells you this is wrong. Exactly. Now, there is, you know, there's a chance that you make a typo that happens to have a correct checksum. I don't know what the odds are with base 58. They're pretty low. Mm -hmm. You'd probably have to make several typos. 
Well, yeah, you'd have to have the unlucky typo. I don't know if the odds are 1 in 10,000 or 100,000 or something. Right. But, you know, there's a lot of Bitcoin users. But in BEC32, it's actually better because it will not just tell you that there's a typo. It'll tell you where the typo is. And that's done differently. So where we talked about in the base58 system, there is a checksum, which just takes all the bytes, basically takes all the bytes from the address and then hashes it. Mm-hmm. Here, there is very sophisticated mathematical magic. I don't think it's super sophisticated, but I can't explain what the actual magic is. But the magic makes it so that you can actually make a typo, and it'll actually tell you where the typo is. And you can make about four typos, and it'll still know where the typo is and what the real value is. Right. If you, more, if you do more than that, it won't. And the analogy I like to make with that, as uh, someone once told me, is it's like if you have a wall and you draw a bunch of circles on it, and each circle represents a correct value, and you're throwing a dart at it, and you know you might hit the bullseye, then you have the right value, or you might just slightly miss the bullseye, but you're still within that big circle, then you know, you know, you know exactly where it should have been. Are you talking about interlocking circles? No, they're not overlapping. Okay. So, so the idea there is you want to you want the circles to be as big as possible, obviously, but you don't want to waste any space. So that's that's an optimization problem in general. And of course, you know, in the in the example of a two-dimensional wall with two-dimensional circles, it's pretty simple to visualize, right? You you throw the dart and you see, okay, it's still within the big circle, so it should belong to this dot. So that is like saying, okay, here's your typo and this is how you fix it. Right. But and then in the case of Back 32 the way I think you should imagine it is that instead of a two-dimensional wall, you have a 32-dimensional wall, and the circles are also probably 32-dimensional hyperspheres. I, fi- I find that a little bit hard to imagine, sure, but I'm not a wizard like you. Well, if, if you've studied something like physics or math, you know that anything you can do in two dimensions, you know, you can see it in three dimensions, and you can do it in n dimensions. You can abstract all these things out to to as many dimensions as you need. But the, the the general intuition is the same. So now you're hitting your keyboard, and somewhere in that 32-dimensional space, you're slightly off, you know. But you're still inside this sphere, whatever that might look like. And so it knows where the mistake is. But there's a problem. Oh, yes. Oh no. All this amazing wizardry missed something, and it basically it lost me a long time ago. But go on. Well, basically, it, it turns out that if your back 32 address ends with a P. And then you can add an arbitrary number of Qs to it, and it still will match the checksum. Oh, yeah, that was a, this is the bug. That was a bug in BEC32. Yeah, so I guess the analogy would be that the circles are not entirely separate in some weird way. Mm-hmm. And that's not good. And, and, but that's actually not a problem so originally. So any, any address that ended with a P could have any arbitrary numbers of Q following it. Exactly. And then you, you wouldn't be told that there's a typo. No. Your software would think it's right, and then you're sending money to the wrong address. Yeah, which means it's unspendable. Right. right? Yeah, 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 exactly. But the good news is that there's another constraint for the original version of SegWit, SegWit version 0, which is that an address is either, well, 20 bytes or 32 bytes. Right. And that means that it's constrained, right? Because if you add another queue to it, then it's too long. So you still know it's wrong. Yeah, if you have a 20-byte address and you add one queue, then it's 21, which is still yeah. invalid. So and then you, maybe you'd have to accidentally add 15 queues, or how many were? 12. 12 queues. Yeah, or something like that. And I don't that's, know. That's pretty that's, unlikely to happen. Yeah, because I might be confusing bytes and characters. But exactly, that's very unlikely to happen. 
poor SegWit version zero. But now we would say, okay, we're going to have a new, you know, we're going to have future versions of SegWit, such as Taproot. Right. Which, you know, would be BC1P because P is the version one. Mm-hmm. But may, and for, I believe for Taproot, there's also a constraint in how long these addresses are supposed to be. So it's still not an acute problem. But in the future, maybe we want to have addresses that are somewhat more arbitrary in length because maybe you want to add some weird conditions to it or you want to communicate other information, not just the address. Maybe you want to put the amount inside the address. Right. So this is why there's a new standard proposed, BIP350, which is called BEC32M. And it's actually a very simple change. I think it adds to the uh, all the math. It adds one extra number to that math. And then it fixes that particular bug. And everybody's happy. So it fixes the bug that the queues don't matter anymore. Yeah, you can't just add stuff to it without running into problems. But I guess this does mean that wallets that have by now upgraded to support these special SegWit addresses, back 32 addresses, they now have to upgrade again. That's right. So if that that's annoying, because it does mean that if your wallet wants to support sending to a Taproot address, then it has to make a small change to the back 32 implementation. And there's some example code on the BIP. It's not a big change because it just adds one number. And if you look at the Bitcoin Core implementation, it's a fairly simple change that does it. But it does mean that moving forward, when you see a, a back 32 address, you have to parse it, then see if it's the version 0 or the version 1, and then do things slightly differently. But even that is just a very small change. Right. But it is annoying. Yeah, it does mean that especially hardware wallets, you know, with firmware updates could take a while. Right. So we started out with base 58 addresses. Now we're all starting to use back 32 addresses. Is this final? Are we going to keep using back 32 or are you anticipating some other address format somewhere in the future? No, I think this this will will do for a long time. Back 32 is a way to write addresses. Now, what is actually inside an address, there could be more information in it, right? And the most interesting example of that is Lightning Invoices. A Lightning Invoices uses Back 32, but they're much longer because they contain a lot more information. They contain the public key, they contain the amount, they contain the deadline, they contain a bunch of secrets, they contain all sorts of stuff, all sorts of routing hints even. It's like a whole book you're sending over right so back 32 is just an alphabet essentially you can make it as long as you want mm-hmm. with this you know little caveat in mind that we talked about but you're probably not going to type manually type lightning invoices anyway because they're too long so you tend to copy paste them yeah in general you copy paste any address i i don't retype addresses do you short well you might i don't know you might have some like nuclear cold storage and the addresses for that nuclear cold storage might be written down on a piece of paper because you don't want them ever to touch anything that's on the internet. But, you know, generally people copy-paste. But there was some discussion early on with Back 32 I think, that was explicitly talking about can this be communicated over the phone. Yeah, true. That's that's why there's this... Um... Yeah. Even in your nuclear bunker situation, maybe you need to communicate something to somebody else in another nuclear bunker through smoke signals and then you know you could use back 32 for smoke signals although maybe a base 2 system is easier I, d- I don't know i've never done smoke signaling no i usually copy paste okay that's cool it's also like a smoke signal just a bit more complicated all right was that everything there is to know about addresses short well i'm sure there's more but i think this is a nice primer you're gonna call it a day 
we are. So thank you for listening to the Van Weerdem Shores NATO. There you go.